The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. There's been an awful lot of the news recently about redundancy packages for well-paid executives. How much, for example, did Rory Coveney get on leaving RTE? The suggestion is somewhere around €200,000, which is one year's pay and salary for him. And then, big mystery as to how much money for Richard Collins, the former chief financial officer, when he left. Some suggestions, unconfirmed, he might have got two years' pay. Breed O'Keefe, his predecessor, when she left, even though it wasn't a redundancy, she got €450,000 on her way out the door, which led to a discussion today in our office as to what goes on in various places when it was revealed that in the HSE, they've done a deal with the former Deputy Director General, uh, who's in charge of strategy and planning, had been appointed back in July 2017. That's when he joined the HSE. And then he became the Chief Strategy Officer for the HSE in 2022. But he's gone. And he has received a package worth over four, nearly €400,000 to relinquish his deal. So... Why does this happen? Julie Galbraith is with us, a partner in employment law at Evershade Sutherland. Evershade Sutherland, and I know you're not in a position to tell us the ins and outs of any of these particular deals. But in general, given that people hear about statutory redundancy and they might get two weeks per year of service as compensation for losing their job, why is it that people higher up the hierarchy seem to get such big payoffs when they leave their jobs? Hi, Matt. I suppose at a basic level, where we have to start from is employment rights in Ireland. So any dismissal in Ireland, once an employee has more than one year service, is deemed by law to be unfair. So our legislation says it's unfair and it's for the employer to prove that it is fair. And an employer can do that in limited ways. So that's for performance reasons, for conduct reasons, or generally for redundancy. And the problem when we look at senior executives as opposed to employees at all other levels of an organisation is that it is very, very difficult to terminate a senior executive for performance reasons and particularly conduct reasons. The outlier that we always use is redundancy because it's possible to restructure almost any organisation from the ground up and call it a redundancy. So that's always one of the grounds that an organisation will seek to rely on. If that's not open and that's not available, the only way to do it is to negotiate and to, to negotiate that exit. Because the redundancy issue has come up in the RT case, and again, I'm not asking you to specifically uh, pass comment on this, but if you have, say, a chief financial officer or a finance director and you want that person to go for whatever reason, it's not possible, is it, to make the position redundant because you are going to have to have a new finance director or a new chief financial officer, even if you try and call the position something else. It's still is that position. Yes, the legislation is quite specific on what constitutes the redundancy and it should be a material change in the job and the role. And redundancies are role specific, so they're not individual specific. It's not about me or you, it's about the role that we carry out. And we've talked a lot about the tech redundancies over the last year, 18 months. Redundancies are probably every third query that I would get as an employment lawyer is related to redundancies. And they're genuine redundancies that are happening all across the world. They can impact on senior roles, absolutely. 
But you're right, it can be difficult to orchestrate a redundancy where a role is very fact-specific and is integral to an organisation. That's not to say it doesn't happen. So you could have a CEO that decides, I'm actually going to outsource an awful lot of our finance functions now because it's just getting too expensive for us to do that internally. And that might mean then that you're okay with a head of finance rather than a finance director. So it is possible and it is possible to do it in a genuine way, but more often than not for senior executives, it may be an easier way to exit at maybe a slightly less expensive process than a negotiated exit process. How often does it happen as well that you might get a new boss who decides they want a new executive around them and they decide, well, okay, I need to get rid of certain people. There's no performance grounds. uh, There's no redundancy grounds. It could be a personality clash or just a need to put somebody else. Those people are going to have to be bought out of their jobs, essentially, aren't they? That's correct. And again, that goes back to the protections that we have in Ireland for employees. So all employees, once they're over that year service, have a lot of protections here. But it's very common for a a new business. It might happen after an M&A transaction. And that's something that we will come across a lot where you have a new company has bought out a business and they want to do things differently. They might want to merge finance functions, HR functions, sales functions. And you will have a lot of duplication of people then carrying out the same roles. And that's a good classic redundancy scenario. Then it comes into the process and the process is where a lot of employers in Ireland tend to fall down because whilst you can have a reason that an employee may end up being terminated, whether they punched someone in the face, whether they stole money from the till or whether there's a genuine redundancy restructure required, you must follow a process. So you still have to go through all the steps. And what about poor performance? What if somebody takes control of a business, like a new boss or whatever, and says, well, that person is not doing their job properly. We have to have somebody else do the job because it's too important to have the wrong person in. That is the hardest way to terminate employment in Ireland and in most countries. And in Germany, it doesn't even exist that you could uh, terminate someone because of performance issues. So in Ireland, how you'd have to terminate someone is to be very clear in terms of the performance shortfalls. So you'd have to give very specific examples. So if we took a sales executive, they may have to hit a sales, sales target every month of €10,000 in ad revenue. If they're not hitting that, the next month a performance improvement process can start. So many of your listeners might hear of a PIP process. A PIP process is where the employer says, you are not hitting your 10000 target. Next month you must hit 8000 and I will do some support. I will meet with you every Friday. I will also put you in touch with Matt, who's our superstar expert in sales, and he'll sit with you and, and help you. If the employee doesn't hit the eight in the next month, that's the first tick on the performance improvement process. Then they might have to hit eight again the next month. If they do it the next month, it might then go up to 10. But it's a series of warnings. So the Unfair Dismissals Act would say that you have to start with a verbal warning, a first written warning, a final written warning, and then dismissal. And if an employer in Ireland does not go through those steps, which should take 6 to 12 months if you're doing a proper performance process, that's what the WRC will require, then that's going to be an unfair dismissal. Even if you do a half a job or a three quarters of a job, your end up dismissal isn't going to be fair. And that's one of the reasons that we have such high termination packages because it's much easier for an employer to go to that person and say, this isn't working, so how, how do we resolve this? You make them an offer they can't refuse. And that can be an expensive offer if you don't want to go through your process. Okay, and then of course there might be people who are thick-skinned, toughened, who will say, no, I'm not accepting that. If you're going to get rid of me, you're going to have to pay a lot more money than you're offering. Correct. So I would always say to an employer in that scenario, you have to get into a process first. So you never start the discussion without being in one of those processes. So they're either invited to a disciplinary meeting, so you're in a disciplinary process, 
or you're beginning your performance improvement process or you've started your redundancy process, whatever that might be. And then you can have a side conversation with maybe somebody that the employee trusts in the association where you're saying, look, if you haven't the heart to go through six months now of performance discussions, let me know. I'll go see if I can get a few months pay to help you on the road if you wanted to move on and you don't want to go down that road. But if the employer doesn't start the process, it's very difficult to roll back. As you say, if you have someone that says, no, make me a better offer, your process will always be flawed whenever you go to the WRC. So then does it come down to an issue of law? Does it come down to an issue almost of personality of how strong the person is in playing hardball or how good their legal advice or their trade union advice is? A bit of all of that and how emotionally intelligent the employer is. So if, if an employer is opening up one of those discussions and they're not getting the right signals, that's where they need to step right back and go straight into their, their really secure HR legal process. Because if you start that conversation, you can't come back and then you're in the WRC two years later and you have a huge award against you because you've no proportionality in your process. So finally, if we see headlines about huge payoffs in various businesses, be they state-owned or private companies or whatever, those figures are usually arrived at after a lengthy process of negotiation and almost poker playing. More often than not, yes. Now, there are some outliers where you'd have, in particular, state organisations or those that have a strong union involvement that some of this would be in a union document that would be agreed in advance, but you're not going to see three-figure, four-figure, six-figure um, payments that are in a document anywhere. Thank you very much, Julie Galbraith, Partner in Employment Law at Eversheds Sutherland. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-